The text for this morning's sermon is Luke 23, the first part of verse 34. Jesus is, is just being crucified, and he prays these words. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, there is a saying, to err is human, to forgive is divine. What this proverb tells us is that it's human nature for us to make mistakes, but that it's hard for us to forgive others. I think we can all relate to this. We all make mistakes every day. We do things that we didn't intend to do. In our lives, we all sin against God and our neighbor. Sometimes we do so out of ignorance because we didn't know any better. Sometimes we do so unintentionally because our emotions got the better of us. But at other times, we sin deliberately. We put ourselves and our wants and desires ahead of loving God and our neighbor. When we make mistakes, we expect others to overlook them or let them go. When we sin, there is also an ex- often an expectation that our sins will be forgiven. But when others sin against us, something changes. We're offended by their sin. That person hurt me. He made me angry. I'm really upset with him. Granting others forgiveness is hard. You have to let go of the wrongs done to you, the hurt that you suffered, the offense you bore. The saying to err is human, to forgive is divine, is true. It's only through grace that God forgives our sins It's only through grace that we can forgive others. On this Good Friday, our text is the first of Jesus' seven sayings from the cross. Instead of cursing those who are responsible for nailing him to the cross, Christ prays for them. He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. As we examine these words, we need to remember that Christ had never wronged anyone. His trial made it clear that he was innocent of any wrongdoing. During his life, Christ had shown forth so much love to all those around him. In these first words spoken from the cross, Christ shows his mercy. And he declares that he is in the business of forgiving sinners. Jesus announces the forgiveness that he was dying to give. I preach to you the good news of salvation under the following theme. Being crucified, Christ prays, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. We'll consider the people's guilt, Christ's prayer for forgiveness, and the Father's answer to this prayer. We should understand what it means to be crucified. 
Soldiers would strip the condemned man naked. They laid a cross on the ground, and then they put a spike through the condemned man's feet into the cross. They would nail the man's hands onto a crossbeam. Then they would raise up the cross and dump it into a hole so it would stand upright. It's hard to imagine the pain and shock Jesus would have suffered. Physically speaking, being crucified is a horrible way to die. Yet the physical aspect of Christ's suffering was not the worst. Jesus was an innocent man. Pilate said, I find no guilt in this man. He said, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. A great injustice occurred when Jesus was crucified. Not only was Jesus not guilty of any crime, he was a sinless person. Yet by crucifying him, the Roman governor was punishing him for being guilty of some horrible crime like murder or treason. Not only did Jesus suffer great agony, he also bore the shame of being stripped naked and of dying a type of death that the Romans reserved for those they considered to be the scum of the earth. And so it's remarkable to see what Christ did when he was first crucified. In the midst of his agony and his shame, he prayed. He did not pray for himself, for mercy or strength. No, he prayed for others. Who did Jesus pray for? He prayed for those who crucified him. He prayed, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Who is the them that Christ prayed for? Well, obviously, this included the Roman soldiers. Pilate had given Jesus over to a squad of soldiers with the order to crucify him. After stripping Jesus, these men divided his clothes by lot. They and their commanding officer were the ones who performed the physical deed of nailing Jesus to a cross on that day. But these soldiers were not the only ones that Jesus prayed for. Soldiers just do as they are told. It's others who tell them what to do. So Jesus' prayer would have extended to those ultimately responsible for his crucifixion. Pontius Pilate was the one who issued the command. Yet he had not wanted to crucify Jesus. He was pressured into doing so by the Jewish council. It is the chief priests and Pharisees, the religious leaders in Israel, that had it in for Jesus and that sought his crucifixion. Yet it's not them alone. We know that many of his own people, the Jews, did not receive Jesus. At the beginning of his ministry, huge crowds followed him. But as he pressed his claim to be the Messiah, more and more of the people turned away from him. 
When Pilate was looking for a way to release Jesus, the people kept shouting, crucify, crucify him. And thus we see that Jesus' prayer is wide in its scope. He's praying for all those who played a role in his crucifixion, the Roman and the Jewish authorities, the soldiers and the Jewish people. The Gospels highlight how many people are guilty of shedding Jesus' blood. When Judas Iscariot saw that Jesus was condemned, he brought back the 30 pieces of silver that he had been paid for betraying Jesus. He said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. After Pilate found Jesus not guilty of anything worthy of death, the people cried out for his crucifixion. Pilate took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. See to it yourselves. And all the people answered, His blood be on us and our children. Judas and Pilate each bear their own responsibility for betraying and condemning Jesus, despite their claims to be innocent. Yet it's especially the Jewish leaders and the people who bear responsibility. It is very significant that they voluntarily took upon them, took responsibility for his death on themselves by saying, his blood be on us and on our children. They used an oath formula used more often in the Old Covenant. In Leviticus 20, Moses speaks about various penalties for breaking the law. For example, he says that anyone who curses his father or mother shall be put to death. His blood is on his own head. The spies who entered Jericho made a deal with Rahab in exchange for hiding them from the authorities. They promised to spare her and her family from death when the Israelites captured Jericho. They swore this with an oath, saying, If a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. Similarly, when a man reports to David that he had killed King Saul, David had him executed for destroying the Lord's anointed king. Even though the man did not actually do it, David said to him, Your blood be on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you. This shed some light on what the people were doing when they told Pilate that they were willing to take Jesus' blood on themselves and their children. They were saying that they were willing to bear responsibility for his death. Why did they do this? It's because the people were convinced that Jesus was worthy of death. After listening to the bad counsel and advice of the Jewish leaders, they thought that Jesus was guilty of blasphemy by claiming to be the Son of God. Some people tried to lessen the guilt of the Jewish people. They point out that it was the chief priests and elders of the people who provoked them to cry out for Jesus' crucifixion. They excused the people's sin by saying that they didn't know what they were doing. They point to Christ's prayer where he asked for forgiveness for the people. In praying for them, Christ himself says that they do not know what they do. And so people use ignorance as a reason to excuse the sin of the Jewish people. Ignorance is never a valid excuse 
for sin. The laws about sacrifices in the Old Covenant make this clear. If a person sinned unintentionally against any of the Lord's commandments, he was required to offer a sin offering to the Lord. The priest would offer it as a burnt offering to God, a sweet-smelling aroma to atone for the person's sin. Thus, even when an Israelite sinned unintentionally, he was guilty of sin. Payment was required before he could be forgiven. And further, why would Jesus pray, Father, forgive them, if the people were blameless? Christ prays for their forgiveness because they were guilty. Their sin against Jesus was open and blatant. The court of the land had found Jesus not guilty. And yet they took an innocent man and had him crucified. Thus, just as they said, the responsibility for Jesus' death lay on them and their children. The problem with the people of Israel is that they consider the blood of Jesus to be of little account. Caiaphas, the high priest, said it is better that one man should die for the people than that the whole nation should perish. Israel's leaders valued Christ's life at 30 pieces of silver. It's the price they paid Judas for his betrayal. The people followed the lead of the chief priests and elders. In fulfillment of the prophecies of Isaiah, they despised and rejected their king. They called for him to suffer a shameful and agonizing death by being nailed to a cross. They condemned him as if he were the scum of the earth. Beloved, just because we were not there to join in with the cries for Jesus to be crucified does not mean that we are innocent of his blood. Jesus had to walk the pathway of suffering. He had to die for your sins and mine. Each and every one of our sins contributed to the need for Jesus to be crucified. Jesus had to die for our sins of ignorance, sins we're not aware of. He had to die for our unintentional sins, sins of weakness committed when our emotions got the best of us. He had to die to pay for our deliberate sins, for the things that we do wrong, because at that moment we care more about ourselves and our desires than we do about God and our neighbor. We're not the place we're not in any place to point the finger at the Jewish people for the sin, for their sin in crucifying the Christ. Instead, beloved, we need to humble our hearts before God. We need to acknowledge that each one of us shares in the guilt of Christ's blood. It's our sins that put Jesus on the cross. God sent his Son to atone for the sins of the world. Jesus came into the world not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We need to acknowledge our sins before we can receive forgiveness for them. It brings us to our second point, Christ's prayer for forgiveness. Although the people took responsibility for Christ's blood upon themselves, Christ prays for them. He prays, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. 
That is utterly amazing. These are the people who have despised and rejected him. They kept calling out for Pilate to crucify him. Would you pray for someone who abused you and committed great injustice against you? When someone wrongs us, our instinctive reaction is to want revenge. When someone does a dirty in us, we want to get even. There's a strong sense of justice that lives in us. Christ was a man, just like us. He would have faced the temptation to get even with those who crucified him. Jesus could have called down fire from heaven to consume his enemies. He could have caused the earth to open up and swallow those who had wronged him. And yet Christ does the opposite. He prays that the Father would forgive those who crucified him. During his earthly ministry, Jesus actually forgave people their sins. It was one of the things that infuriated the Jewish leaders, for they knew that only God forgives sins. Mark 2 tells us of how Jesus forgave the sins of a paralytic man, and Luke 7 of how Jesus forgave a sinful woman. And so we ask, why didn't Jesus just forgive the sins of the people when they crucified him? Why did he pray to the Father to forgive them? Part of the answer comes from the position that Jesus now occupied. He was hanging on a cross. From this position, he didn't exercise his divine prerogatives. When coming down to earth, Christ laid aside the glory that was his in heaven. When he was crucified, he laid down the power and authority that he had even on earth. On the cross, Christ was suffering as a man in our place. He was acting as our substitute, our representative. And so rather than exercise his authority, Jesus takes on the role of a supplicant. Rather than forgiving the people's sins, he prays for the Father to forgive them. But that's not the main reason why Jesus did not forgive the sins of those who were responsible for crucifying him. The Bible teaches that forgiveness requires an acknowledgement of sin and repentance from it. There is no pardon without repentance. The Jewish people could not receive forgiveness until they recognized their sin and repented from it. And so we see that instead of forgiving their sins, Jesus prays to the Father that he will forgive them for what they have done. From this we see what Christ is really praying for. Jesus prays for a reprieve. He prays for the Father to withhold judgment from those who crucified him. He prays that his murderers may come to see that they have crucified the Lord of glory, the Prince of peace, the Messiah God sent to redeem them. He prays that they may repent from their sin and seek their salvation in him alone. Why does Christ pray for this reprieve? Why does he pray for God to withhold his judgment? 
Christ gives the answer in his prayer. The people do not know what they are doing. Christ is asking his Father to give them time to realize their sins, to confess them and repent from them. And so we see that Christ's prayer is based on the ignorance of his people. Their ignorance did not excuse them. They were still guilty. And yet because of their ignorance, Christ prays for the Father to forgive them. He's praying for the Father to cause them to repent so that they could and would be fully pardoned. Beloved, for us to receive forgiveness for our sins, we too need to know them. We need to confess them. We need to repent from them. We need to address our prayers to our Father in heaven, asking him in his grace to forgive the many ways in which we offend him with our sins. That requires humility. It means that we need to carefully examine our hearts and our lives so we recognize our sins. 1 John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The basis on which we may pray for forgiveness is the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Jesus' willingness to forgive us is made clear in the prayer he prayed for those responsible for his death. It's because his blood was poured out for us on the cross that our sins can and will be forgiven us. Jesus Christ has now become our intercessor. When we pray, he pleads our cause for us before the Father. When we pray in Jesus' name, God will pardon us fully. It brings us to our final point, the Father's answer to this prayer. The Bible makes it clear to us that the Father heard the prayer of his beloved Son. God did not immediately punish his people for their sin of crucifying the Lord Jesus. When Nadab and Abihu sinned against the Lord, he caused fire to come down from them from heaven. When Korah, Dathan, and Abiram rebelled, the Lord caused the earth to swallow them up. And yet, when the people of Israel sinned by crucifying their Lord, the Father heard the prayer of His Son, and He granted them a reprieve from judgment. God's mercy and grace are revealed in that He grants His covenant people the opportunity to repent of their sins. Jerusalem would not be destroyed for another 40 or so years. During this time, God ensures that the good news is preached to those who crucified their Lord. The people who were ignorant of the fact that they had crucified their king were told what they, were, what they had done. The apostles repeatedly told them they had crucified their king, and they called them to repent and to believe in him. And so God in his grace granted his people a reprieve from judgment so they would have opportunity to repent and believe. Yet God's grace extends even beyond this 
Not only does he grant an opportunity to repent, God also works repentance into the hearts of his people. He convicts them of their sins. He causes them to seek their salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Acts 2 tells us that on the day of Pentecost, many people were cut to the heart. They repented and believed. About 3,000 people were saved on that day alone. Acts 4 verse 4 records how the number of men who heard the word and believed came to about 5,000. Acts 6 verse 7 says, And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great number of the priests became obedient to the faith. So we see that the Father heard Christ's prayer, that in his grace he brought many to repentance and forgiveness. <coughs> the reason why God was so gracious to his people was because of Christ's prayer. He forgave them because they did not know what they were doing. In Acts 3, verse 17, Peter speaks about the crucifixion of Christ. He says to the people, And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your leaders. In Acts 5, 28, the high priest charges the apostles with intending to bring this man's blood upon them. That's the blood of Jesus. The apostles denied this. They emphasize that they are preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to give repentance and the forgiveness of sins to Israel. God's grace is so great, he allowed all his children the time they needed to repent and believe. God's grace is still being applied to us today. In the years following Christ's death, the people became impatient for Christ's return. Jesus had promised he was coming quickly. And yet, the people had to wait. The Apostle Peter explains the reason for this to them in 2 Peter 3. He says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The reason why our Lord has not yet returned on the clouds of heaven is because he is still gathering his church. Praise God for his mercy and grace towards us. He grants the time that's needed for all his children to come to repentance. Beloved, are you living apart from God in a sinful way of life? Humble yourself before God and confess your sins to him. Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ while there's still time. Beloved, do you have a loved one who is straying or who has strayed from the ways of the Lord? Pray for him or her. The prayer of righteous people is powerful and effective, James tells us. The time of Christ's return is not yet here. God is long-suffering towards us. He does not desire the death of the sinner, but that he turn from his wicked way and live. 
Christ will not return in the clouds of heaven until he has gathered the last of his children and he has brought them to salvation. We began this sermon by speaking about how to err is human, but to forgive is divine. As human beings, we make all kinds of mistakes and sin in many different ways. Through our sins, we grieve God and offend our neighbor. But there is a way forward that provides reconciliation and peace. The way of forgiveness. Jesus Christ suffered and died on a cross to make full payment for our sins. He offered up his blood more precious than silver and gold, in order to purchase us as his own possession. He gave up his life to restore us to righteousness and life. By repenting of our sins and believing in him, we may share in his grace. When we truly share in the grace given us in Jesus Christ, then we will also be prepared to wholeheartedly forgive our neighbor. The grace of being forgiven transforms the people of God so that we will also be willing to forgive those who have sinned against us. True reconciliation requires both confession and repentance on the part of the person who sinned and forgiveness on the part of the ones sinned against. And yet, beloved, in Jesus Christ, that's possible. We can live in restored relationships because of the grace of our Savior. And so our hearts may be filled with thankfulness and joy for this glorious message on Good Friday. Amen. Let's respond to the gospel by singing together from the supplement, O Christ, our hope, our heart's desire, page 87. We'll do so standing.